0: Hello again, and welcome back. I am Chris Bolzini, and this is the Bolzini Circus Stories podcast. You are listening to episode four, and it's part three of The Great Farini. Um, So I'm going to get right in there today. I'm going to tell you uh, about one of the most... Exciting and significant moments in his career uh, it's really his performance debut. I mean Farini had done stuff uh, he finally did get that rope rigged to his father's barn um, and he did some stuff uh, for the for the local villages uh, at his farmyard um, at his his parents' farm uh, but to be allowed by the mayor of Port Hope to actually string a rope between two buildings um and entertain the whole town uh didn't happen until this this moment this story um, so just i mean quickly to sort of touch in on my own <coughs> debut I've, I've mentioned before how i i first trod a rope for the invisible circus in bristol about 2009 and not long after uh, within a year or two I I actually got invited to go to Macedonia, um, yes, sunny Macedonia in Skopje. Uh, they had an amazing busker's festival, an international busker's festival, and I got contacted directly by a guy called Pane, uh, who, as well as being a puppeteer, uh, who had uh, earned money on the streets of Japan, I think. Uh, he traveled extensively, he'd been in Canada a lot, I think, as well um and then come back to his life in Macedonia and 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 set up a busking festival with the support of the local mayor uh and so he very graciously I was I was pleased to be contacted directly by him out of the blue and got invited to go and walk on a tightrope down there. And I thought, wow, um, you know, cool. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, that's my dream. That's the thing I'd most love to do. And we spent a little while um, negotiating the details and fees and transport and who's going to set up the wire and will it be safe and all that stuff. Uh, and at the end of it all, I said to him, I said, you do, you do know I'm not, I'm not really trained as a high wire walker. I'm, I'm a slack rope walker. Um, and he said, yes, yes, actually, I know. Uh, but we believe you can do it. And I was really uh, I was really flattered and I thought, well, crikey, you know, if he believes I can do it, I suppose I can. Um, and it's like that, isn't it? Sometimes we need, um, for our own self-belief, you know, there is that self-doubt, there is that moment of like, I don't know, I don't know if I can do it. Um, but by having the people around us believing in us and to find that place of courage in ourselves, to find that place where we believe in ourselves... Uh, you know whether it 's um you know just um achieving uh you know buying a new house or or setting ourselves other life goals uh, finding that life partner that we 've always wanted or um you know doing something with our life uh, re uh, redesigning your garden or, or um yeah tackling environmental crisis you know all all these challenges in life. Um, we have to find that place of self-belief um, and often we can be really supported by the outside. So yeah, I just say it's really worth looking for those signs of, I think, you know, people believe in us, even when we don't believe in ourselves, people believe in us. Um, and I just like to say, yeah, let's let's take a moment to also to believe in ourselves, but also to remember to believe in others and to support them on their journeys. Okay, I'm going to go straight in there because it's a slightly longer reading (coughs) and um, a very exciting one. Uh, I'm going to just jump straight back into a chapter I've been into before. This is on page 51 of The Great Farini, The High Wire Life of William Hunt by Shane Peacock. It was down at the foot of Walton Street on the northwest side of the bridge, a four-story brick structure occupied by Crack and Gillespie, Dry Goods Company, as Farini looked up to its peaked roof and then down to the rocks at the bottom of the clear stream, the reality of his task was suddenly all too palpable. He could see across an open expanse of some two hundred feet to another four-storey brick building on the east side of the creek. The distance and height daunting. A fall would kill him or cripple him for life. "'He climbed to the roof and looked down "'and felt truly frightened. "'They went on with their task, "'attaching small guy-lines to the main rope, "'hauling it up, passing it through trap-doors "'in the two roofs, and fastening it to the timbers "'that ran perpendicular under the roof beams. "'This way, it was reasoned, "'his weight, when pressing down on the rope, "'would pull sideways on the entire roof. "'When everything was secured,' He went home to the country to try to sleep. Saturday, October the 1st, 1859, was a favourable day for walking a high wire in Port Hope. Unremarkable in temperature and wind speed, Signor Farini's grand ascension was to commence at four o'clock. But several hours ahead of time the streets became noticeably busy, and by three o'clock spectators were packed into any place that gave a good view of the rope. Smith's Creek flows through the town and into Lake Ontario at about 90 degrees and is the centre of a valley on whose basin and hills Port Hope was built. Walton Street Bridge intersects it at the centre of town. People now filled the bridge, jammed northward on the east bank, stood shoulder to shoulder on the side of Protestant Hill. "'from which powerful old St John's Anglican Church "'surveyed the realm, "'and covered the rooftops of every available building. "'To the west Walton was one dense mass of spectators "'all the way up its hill. "'The enormity of the crowd stunned Farini and his backers, "'for despite their boastful predictions "'they hadn't anticipated such a throng. "'It was being said that many came to see him fall. And this kind of show drew that sort of spectator. But not everyone had such bloodthirsty motives. A typical Canadian curiosity had been put in motion after folks read it in the guide that Farini was a local man. They wanted to see if one of their own could do what the famous Blondin and other exotic people were doing in far-off places. In moments, they would find out. THE CROWD THAT DAY WAS A MIX OF ALMOST EVERY SORT OF UPPER CANADIAN. THERE WERE MANY FACES OF FARMERS, CHILDREN, MERCHANTS, CITY councillors, AND SOCIETY LADIES, AS WELL AS THE HARD-DRINKING YOUNG HOOLIGANS WHO CAME LOOKING FOR BRAWLS AND OTHER FUN, AND WANTED TO SEE IF Farini HAD ANY NERVE. TALL BLACK TOP HATS, FANCY AND PLAIN BONNETS and the caps of boys, were thatched together in the solid mass below the rope. The guide enjoyed the presence of scores of those excruciatingly respectable people who had bored the mare almost to death to induce him to prevent Farini from fulfilling his promises. Somehow or other they had compounded with their respectability or with their consciences and stood their ground in the crowd manfully. Neither would those who gravely asserted that the young man's days were numbered give up their spots. By mid-afternoon, thousands were waiting for Farini, eyes cast upwards. There's no record of how he felt during the hours before his debut, and if he had been asked, he likely, would have said he felt no fear and was concentrating on doing his feats accurately. But one has to wonder. For some reason, he put on his costume a full hour before showtime. As the crowd grew and reached overflowing, as it buzzed outside the building, his 21-year-old heart must have been thumping. When he finally came out of the trapdoor, on Crick and Gillespie Building, and they noticed him a huge cheer went up, which he later said nearly affected me. He was dressed in what the papers called the usual clothing of acrobats, namely his first silk tights. A group of muscular farmer friends then appeared on both roofs, ready to help him, and fend off anyone who might try to stop the show or touch his rope, Signor Farini took the long balancing pole, which had just been handed to him, and walked carefully down the roof to his rope. He slowly put one foot over the brink and settled it onto the cord to get its feel. When his head first popped up out of the trapdoor, many in the crowd, apparently suddenly startled by the realisation of what was before them, had started and begun shouting in almost desperate voices amidst the cheers not to go through with it. But when his first step came, they were collectively stilled. It was an eerie silence. This is a common reaction at High Wire Performances, especially when they are death-defying. The empathy is almost palpable. Spectators feel as though they too were up on the rope, and together, in paralysing fear, they attempt to ease the performer across. Farini said that when he glanced down, he saw pain in the old sunburnt faces. He lifted his other foot off the roof and stood out the rope surrounded by the crowd's silence the next few steps were slow but he didn't shake he kept going without pause moving steadily until he was all the way to the center directly over the river over the river if he indeed had been nervous before he seemed supremely confident now but suddenly There was an unforeseen problem. Without warning, the rope slipped under his weight and began to sway. The crowd felt themselves falling. Farini halted, steadied the rope with his powerful legs, and continued along the incline to the other building. People looked up at the bottoms of his feet and marvelled. It seemed like a dream. A man virtually suspended in mid-air a fantasy in three dimensions. When he reached the building on the east side and got onto the roof safely, applause erupted from the crowd like thunder and rang up and down the street. As Bill Hunt reveled in it, on the ground people felt an enormous sense of relief, as though they too were safe now. So that's a little moment of Bill Hunt's first experience in front of a crowd and normally i leave it with this story but I just I just wanted to share with you my own experience there in Macedonia and I'd gone to Skopje and I I I'd, I'd walked ropes before as I told you and I I'd, I'd, I'd actually done them festival with a safety harness um and then in Macedonia the first couple of nights I also did with a safety harness. Um, and I'd i been building up to a place where I wanted to do what is traditionally um, the way that it's done with high wire and that's without a safety harness and that can only be done when you're very highly trained in being able to catch the rope and save yourself in the event of difficulties, wind blowing or other challenges. Um, and I yeah, I just like to share that when I did that in Macedonia for the first time, I took off my safety harness, and I did that same performance. I did that same performance, about twenty-five foot high, and in front of several hundred people. And I can really, you know, I love the way that Shane writes that story because I can really relate to the way that the audience stills, the silence that sweeps across the crowd and the auxiliaration <clears throat> as a performer, the auxiliaration the and the way that one feels deeply and truly in the moment. Um, yeah, it's, it's such an honor to be able to do what I do and I feel like I get to truly live um, because of that <coughs> that presence, that meditation of full presence as I'm there on the rope. So everyone, <coughs> thanks for listening and I hope to have you back very, very soon for the next installment. We're going to do a couple more of the great Farini, one or two more for now, and then we're going to move on to another um circus impresario another rope walker uh please stay with the podcast and enjoy any feedback is welcome and uh there should be by now a button set up to donate if you feel like donating feel free to no obligation i'm really happy that you're listening Uh, and yeah please feel free to contact me uh, through my website uh, or instagram or facebook with any questions uh, and particularly if you have any ideas yourself of a of a place that's a good spot to string a highwire. Once again, thanks for listening to Bulzini Highwire Sorry, Bullzini Circus Stories. See you next time.